The horror-thon continues once again on the 1980s movie graveyard. We got so many horror movies. We got horror movies coming out of our ears. I mean, it's crazy. They're piling up like the dead corpses that they are that we dug up out of the ground. Tonight, we're going to be joined, like, really, this is almost like a all-time, like, you know, special gathering of uh, hosts here. We're rolling three deep on this one, so I want to get started right away. Everybody knows who I am. Uh, but, and everybody knows who Trevor is, because he's a part-time, almost full-time gravedigger, and you should know who Bird is by now, but in case you missed the Chopping Mall episode, Bird here is too. Trev, Bird, thank you for coming down to the graveyard tonight on such short notice. Like, I called you guys, I gotta thank you, I called you guys, I said, these corpses, man, I can't dig them up all by myself, these movies, they weigh too much, they're stood under too much dirt. You guys came down. Even with your own shovels, you came down. Help me dig this shit up. It's yeah, a pleasure no to be here. I mean, for a movie this complex, you need three people to analyze <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and with the epic running length of 85 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what movie are we doing tonight? Tonight we are doing the ultimate classic of... <laughs> I don't know, foreign ripoff, <laughs> gory horror. We're talking about pieces. Welcome to the 1980s movie Graveyard, the show that lets forgotten movies have one last chance to shine. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. All right, we're going to go ahead and get this started here. We are, we're all rolling off the Grindhouse Blu-ray, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure what the all the other releases of this throughout the years have been, so I don't know what the... Terrible. Ter- <laughs> I have heard that they all look terrible, so I don't know. There, there a lot of um, public domain uh, right. VHS uh, rips. So if you're going to sync up with one of those, I'm not exactly sure what uh, menus and whatever logos you have. Our copies don't really have any, like, studio logos or nothing in the beginning, so we're syncing off of literally the one-second mark, which is just a black screen, and then it's going to really fast go into a cold open. So I'm going to wake my DVD player up here. I'm going to say one, two, three, go, and when I say go, everybody hit play on your DVD or Blu-ray players or laptops or whatever you have. Do you guys have remote in hand over there? Yep. All right. Yeah. All right, everybody, one, two, three, go. All right. Right away, Boston, 1942. <laughs> I, love, I love that they set it up that it's in Boston. How, how did they do that? They started on a tight shot of a house that could be anywhere. <laughs> That's how you establish a city in time. Not even a, they couldn't even afford a stock footage shot of Boston. Well, you need to tell me though, because at this point, I'm, I don't believe anything is Boston unless I hear Ben Affleck's horrible accent. Yeah, in a film, so. I love that Ben Affleck has the phoniest Boston accent for a guy who's from Boston. How does that work? <laughs> out? Did he just grow up in the foofy part of town, so he didn't really have the accent? And now, as a 48 year old man, he feels the need to gain some street cred. All right, so right off the bat, we we got this scene to setting everything up, ain't it? Yeah, man. Yeah, little boy putting together a nudie puzzle. He's just about to put a piece in that has a lady's bush on it. Was that what it was? 
Yeah, his mom, his mom could have at least waited a couple seconds. Yeah, wait till he's done with that shit. She comes and starts slapping, and I, I was gonna say like I knew this movie was gonna be one for the ages. You know, I just seen this recently for the first time about a month ago. I knew this was gonna be one for the ages when the actress starts literally slapping the shell of the little boy for real, like slapping his head, everything. Yeah, and then you... for some reason they sh- they do slow mo of her smashing that mirror. Mm-hmm. And not even slow mo, but like they show her smashing a regular, then it's like a replay. <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking sports replay. Like we're watching a football game or something. Of course, you know, she's upset. Oh, you probably got all this dirty shit. You know, it's just starts going through all the drawers, finding all the pornography. No. And and she's saying like, uh, like she's like, I bet he's got this stuff all over. The, like, he's right there. Why is she right. talking like that? Yeah, she she acts like she discovered it while he was like out playing or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> she just said, "Hurry, hurry, stupid, and bring me a bag." Yeah, <laughs> she just called yeah. him stupid. She was asking for this, I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I just take it the way she flew off the handle here, you know, because the little boy just starts chopping on her head with a fire axe. But I mean, I think this was a long time coming, you know. Like I, I think he just had one ass whooping too many right there. <laughs> I will say this is by far the dumbest movie I have that looks this good on Blu-ray. Oh, it looks amazing. What was it? What did the box say? It was a uh, 4K restoration. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe when I got this Blu-ray because it, okay. it's a film Bird and I were already pretty familiar with, and we'd watched you know bad transfers over the years, and I just couldn't believe that anyone put this much effort into <laughs> fixing up a movie like Pieces. It's so it's so much better looking than it deserves to be. I'm glad it is, though. I mean, like, you know, it kind of sucks when a movie has, like, you know, especially a movie that people love, like, the way people love pieces, like, uh, you know, for it to be so loved and have such a shitty, like, grimy VHS whatever release for, you know, 20 years. Well, it's nice, too, because because you you can make fun of the movie all you want, and I'm sure we will. But at the end of the day, there is some like pretty great visuals in it on a gore level and right. some other stuff. So it is nice to finally have uh, to show off that the director kind of knew what he was doing sometimes. Yeah, there are other some... times, maybe not so much. You know? Yeah, I know. like this movie, you know, kind of like when uh, we did House, Trev, and we we're talking about how it was a bumpy up and down ride. This movie is very much in that camp. Like there's some mm-hmm. scenes that are kind of comically goofy or whatever. But there's there there's some of the killing scenes, man. They're beautifully shot, almost Argento-esque, I would say. Yeah, there's one in particular, I, I, you guys probably know what I'm talking about, that we'll get to, that I think like stands right up there with some of the best Italian uh, oh, murder yeah. scenes I've seen. You know? And, you know, like I know it's real popular amongst horror fans and stuff. Hear the police come and find the mom's head in the fucking <laughs> closet. <laughs> I know it's real popular among horror fans. They're like, like uh, it's more the trend was they, they want to recreate however they originally saw the movie. Like, there's a lot of people, I saw it on VHS, so I need a VHS quality of this movie. But, like, me personally, like, I love to see actually kind of what rolled through the camera at the time that they shot it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something to be said for director's intent, not how yeah. you first experienced it. Yeah. For me, the watching a better version doesn't take away any nostalgia for no. any of this stuff. I'll, like, I'll be honest, like, there's a lot of movies that I thought were average, and when I see them on Blu-ray, I actually, the kind of, the score went up a notch for me, because I was like, okay, like, I kind of see that the director, you know, whatever flaws, but he, he had a little more going on than I thought the original times I saw this on cable or VHS or whatever, you know? I think it's like those white credits that started this look like cum. Am I wrong? Yeah, <laughs> it really, it's really like some gr- gruesome, like, uh, dripping shit. And then this is a drippy font, but it's orange, so... yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, orange juice or something. Halloween no. spirit, though. Yeah. Like if the Rocky Horror font was like blood dripping down, this is really somebody just spraying a hose full of jizz everywhere. Music by Cam. That's right. Can't <laughs> fuck with Cam. And uh, yeah, so what would you call this movie? Would you call this a, uh, a you know a Spanish movie from Spain or like how would you classify this really? It was like kind of a co-production, wasn't it? Like yeah. kind of a, one of those international. Yeah, they shot it. I always Spain. thought it was Italian until. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But it's not. And uh, I gotta say, you know, if like something hits big in America, forty years later, <laughs> I love that title card. Something hits big in America, all over, you know, the foreign countries. Like everybody's just trying to make the rip off and shit. Uh, I mean, obviously, this was cashing in on the slasher genre. But, like, what movie directly do you guys think this movie was trying to rip off? Well, I, it's got some, it's, it has some definite giallo elements to it. Yeah. So I think he was really influenced by those. Remind me the most of Deep Red, really. Yeah. I mean, looking at the background on Wikipedia, it seems like it was made, like, it was written by a British filmmaker. Right. Um, and then I think it sounds like a couple of American producers gave it to a Spanish director who then went off and filmed it in Spain. So, yeah, it just seems like it's... I, I would just call it an international film. It takes more than one country to make something this good. Yeah, you need, <laughs> you need talent from around the world <laughs> to make something. Now, here we have it. This is definitely the Jalio uh, section. We just see the, the black gloves going through the old box that has the, this, the bloody... Um, you know, clothes that the mom was wearing when she got chopped up, and then eventually the 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 naughty puzzle and stuff and i gotta say it's kind of interesting because obviously i mean it's no mystery that the killer is the little boy that we saw in the beginning but obviously then the mystery is well you know it's 40 years later so he could be anybody you know in this movie um what do you guys think about the the you know a killer child he was probably i would assume he was shipped off to a psychiatric ward or something like that how is he going to get this evidence (laughs) Like, how is he going to get his mom's bloody clothes and shit <laughs> 40 years later? Um, I, don't know, I don't know, but I do want to point out that my subtitles just said hip-pop music playing. Oh, nice. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure, uh, I guess this is really hip-pop music, you know? Well, this is a great scene that goes absolutely nowhere and means absolutely nothing also. No, but see, you're wrong, because this is one of the reveals of the Blu-rays. On the commentary, they finally explained this scene. Yeah, and I'm assuming you're going to ruin it for everyone now. Oh, yeah, if you don't want me to, I won't. But I could, I could, you know. <laughs> well, we should. I mean, we should talk about after this gruesome introduction. We're treated to a good two and a half minute scene of some girl like really wobbly riding a skateboard around a college campus, basically going wee everywhere, and then she smashes into some guys like a fucking Acme <laughs> cartoon. Yeah, like a Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, Looney okay. Tunes carrying a giant mirror. So. Little, All right, college girl on skateboard crashing in the mirror. Trev ruined this for us. Uh, yeah. Well, so this is just the way. Like, this is where we'll talk about the director sometimes, or the writers and director having a good idea, but not knowing how to like portray it on film. Hmm. And I guess they say the idea there is that the killer saw her hit that mirror, and it reminded him of his mom smashing the mirror, and that's what actually sets him off and starts this murder spree. The problem is they give us no indication anyone is watching that happen. <laughs> right. No, that's that's so. executed terribly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, this the scene is played in the middle of like him putting the puzzle together and having some brief right. flashbacks, but then it just goes into like some other girl 
on, like on a college campus. So like you really don't know like was that present we're, day? We're, was the bed, like, we're getting into ago? so much. We're getting into so much wacky stuff here where we see this girl studying on the lawn and a guy standing roughly two feet away from her starts up a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of quietly says, hey, are you going to be long? And he can hear her. And he's like, no, yeah. I'm, you know, just a couple minutes. Yeah. Like, what the hell? <laughs> and then he cuts her head off. And he cuts her head off and like literally a fountain, like a fire hydrant of blood sprays everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre, guys. <laughs> no, you don't. You have to go to fucking Spain. <laughs> <laughs> now, here we have one of our heroes of the film, the great Christopher George, um, yeah. star of City of the Living Dead. That's right. Yeah, he, he's playing one of two of the uh, oldest <laughs> cops ever to be committed on film. <laughs> These guys are so old. The other one is like a fake, like George Papard, basically. Yeah, that guy's so fuck. You know what's funny is the really white-haired guy, he's so fucking old-looking. But if you watch the movie, he's actually kind of the badass of the movie. Yeah. And if anyone else is uh, like wants another like great Christopher George performance, definitely check out his role as the villain in Enter the Ninja. Oh, which yeah. also includes one of the best death scenes of all time. Yeah. Here we have some inane uh, dialogue about a waterbed that I think we should talk about. Well, the most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed. <laughs> yeah. <And I> lo- <laughs> At the same time. And I love that there's like, the reason they're talking about it is there's recently been a waterbed installed on the student. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, what was it, gym or whatever? Yeah. Like, why yeah. would you put a waterbed in a gym? And then this slutty girl who's just smoking pot, talking about fucking all over, she goes up to uh, sexually harass uh, a, a gentleman. He's a professor, probably in his very late 50s, and most likely a homosexual gentleman. So I guess that's like the game uh, of this school is like all the hot sluts. They want to like sexually harass the uh, older teachers who clearly are not going to do anything about it. <laughs> Like, well, hey, she never that, hires anyone without checking references. That's good. Like, obviously, what? like, on colleges, if, like, a teacher hit on a student and then the student went and reported, obviously there's recourse there. But is I wonder if there's disciplinary recourse for a professor to complain about a student in that way. Trev, do you, do you know the answer to this? Uh, what was the question? There. Like, like, you know how, obviously, if a student gets hit on by a teacher, they can report it yeah. and, like, whatever – is it vice versa? Could the, could a teacher tell on a student for inappropriate like behaviors? Well, I mean, you can you can always report sexual harassment, right? But I mean, I don't know how that. Yeah, I don't know what the protocol would be in that in that situation. Yeah, it's weird. I've always felt like uh, since we're in like a little lull part here, the the thing I guess I would say about pieces is that it feels like a movie made by people who just learned how to be human beings but haven't <laughs> yeah. quite grasped it yet. And that comes across in the behavior of all the characters in the film, the filmmaking. It's very bizarre. <laughs> like, it's, um, it's, it's really weird, too, because, like, everybody relates to each other in such an alien manner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we should mention that it's impossible to find an interview with Eli Roth where he doesn't talk about this movie. Really? He's, he's, as far as he hasn't oh, he's done a ripoff yet of it. Maybe he he will when he's done with ruining Death Wish with the Bruce Willis. <laughs> no, what 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 do you guys think about um the uh, the what do you call I'm blanking right now the the guy who runs the school the the dean the dean yeah. yeah like what what do you what do you make of his performance because like 
I don't know, it's like, when you first you watch the movie, you think he's just going to be some bland guy that only has, like, two scenes, but obviously they keep, he keeps popping up, keeps, like, whatever. Uh, I don't know, like, should he have been more of a red herring, or what do you think? Uh, I don't know, I, I actually kind of like his performance, because I think he, for the, for the long time this film, he does just come across as the asshole Dean that's in every, like, 80s college film, right? Yeah. But then later when we get near the climax, he actually does... Come become kind of fun for a little bit in like the apartment sequence, which we'll see later. Yeah, but I, I think this film like it's weird because you were talking about how you don't really know like who the killer is. Yeah, but I mean, this film basically only posits like three suspects, right? The whole time you think it's either the dean, the homosexual professor, or the janitor. Yeah, and it really doesn't push it much further than that. Well, like another thing too is. Um uh watching on the extras the interview i think it was from the interview with paul smith he talks about they would film this and like all these different actors had different backgrounds and like i think maybe the way everybody acts so weird towards each other is because like basically they said that like on these movies like everybody just spoke their own language and then it got oh, yeah, yeah. later that was common though like a lot of westerns and stuff do that and it doesn't seem like it's being performed by crazy people yeah, but I mean, I'm just wondering, like, you walk in the room speaking English, the guy replies in Spanish or Italian or whatever his nationality is, like, I mean, how would you really, like, get a chemistry going on there with your characters, you know? I think also the editing plays a strange role in this film, too. <laughs> what doesn't? I mean, what element is, like, the, the element that hits, you know? No, like, let, let's get into it. I mean, this would be a movie perfect for, like, a remake or, like, a redo or whatever. Or, like, but I almost think, like, instead of kind of remaking pieces just to slap the name out there, like, it would be a little, probably a little more artistic merit into just remaking the style of pieces where everybody... Yeah, I actually alien. don't think... I actually think of any movie you and I have done, Goat, this would be the one I'd be least interested to see remade because... It's not like it's a fantastic story or anything. Everything that people love about pieces comes from the filmmaking. Right. And I just don't think you'd be able to capture that again. But you could definitely try and make a film that's like an homage to the bizarre choices they made and stuff. And uh, And here we have the great Paul Smith as Willard, the janitor. Yeah. Who, who, I mean, he was in like a lot of great movies like Midnight Express and shit. But uh, mostly known for his physicality, he did a lot of overseas. He like he did like a lot of like Hong Kong movies and shit, where he's just fighting people and shit because he's giant and big. But I feel like he's probably most known for Popeye, right? Right. Yeah, he played uh, was his Bluto. Yep. Mm-hmm. Unless you're me, and then he's most known for Sam Raimi's Crime Wave, a film which yeah. only I like. <laughs> even like even Raimi and the Coens have disowned it. But I think he's, I think he's great in that too. He's really funny in that. And I really love his performance in this. It's just so strange. So he's always got that like one eye kind of squinting. I mean, I guess that's kind of his trademark anyways. But he's just overly suspicious about everything at every second. Yeah. And like he lo- he's getting ready to chainsaw some shit. And he looks in the bushes next door. And there's some people fucking for no reason. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't pay off. There's no reason for. <laughs> I, I love how he, he he couldn't get that last piece in. Yeah. Um, the, the, <laughs> he's wearing them fucking almost, gloves, don't he? <laughs> almost every scene in this movie is for no reason. Yeah, this is a great for no reason scene here, and like uh, this is where we're introduced to the 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 male lead, but like you know like not just going this completely cold not really know much about this movie other than it's gory or whatever they showed this character uh this guy kind of looks like horseshack from welcome back carter he's got glasses on yeah Yeah. kendall 
I thought he was going to be the nerd of the movie. But no, man, this it, is like this is like young Tom Atkins and Chuck Bronson rolled yeah, into one. Th- yeah, this guy, he's even <laughs> studlier than them. He turns out to be the stud of the movie. Especially when, back in the 80s, a horror film, like anybody who, like, you know, the cast of teen characters or whatever uh, had curly hair, they was always the nerd of the movie that got killed, like, early. No, it's funny too because like I, you wonder. I, so that's the thing is, are they trying to be witty and like subvert that? Right. I don't know if they're that, if it seems like they're that smart, right? But yeah. just like a moment ago, they showed him try to throw like a little piece of paper in a waste bin and he missed. So it's like he seems like a dweeb, but then yeah, every girl at the school wants him. Uh, there's a little scene later where girls like begging him to come back to bed. Yeah, uh, the I mean, police he's... just like the police like deputize him <laughs> instantly. I mean, I don't know what it is about this guy. Yeah, he sleeps with like four different girls throughout the movie. <laughs> and they're all go. Like, uh, they already like they already showed this. this <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> now I thought this was weird because now we're following the girl from the library who wanted the nerdy guy Kendall to come have sex with her in the school pool. But like when you see this, this pool is like was it just me or this like it looks like a like um like a spa setting or something. It doesn't look like an Olympic pool or exercise pool that you would find it's on like college someone's campus. house. Yeah, it's just like some rich guy's mansion pool or some shit. Goat, having just seen this movie like recently, what, <laughs> what, what were you thinking the whole time you were watching this? For the well, first you know what? Time? Like a lot of times, you watch these fucking things and they've been talked about and they're legendary and whatever, and uh, you know they're usually very um, stale and you know you're just kind of sitting there, kind of you know counting the minutes until somebody gets killed. And I gotta say, this movie. Especially, you know, everything we've been talking about the first 20 minutes over here. This movie had me so off guard. It was like, I didn't know what, I was thoroughly entertained and I had no idea what was coming next. Like, to me, like, this really, like, I felt like I was more watching, like, a live-action cartoon than I was a (laughs) horror movie, I'll be honest with you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confused were you? I'd probably like a seven, I'd say, you know, up until this point in the movie. I mean, I knew this movie wasn't going to be rocket science or anything. I love, I love how she takes her top off, or not her top, but her, yeah, her bikini top off, and instead of like throwing it with her other clothes, she throws it in a pool. So I guess it will fucking sink down and get lost. Like, what was she thinking? There's <laughs> like the shadow is like crawling around on the outside there. Yeah. <laughs> who knows what pool sluts like to swim in the shadow knows <laughs> and you, you gotta give them credit though like you know these these other killers in movies of this time they're real persistent and they're working hard this guy just comes to the fucking pool with the pool net that you get the leaves out of the pool with and he's gonna use this to fucking <laughs> how has she not seen him well even if you do see him like he puts the the pool net over her head can't you could just, just dump go, down into the water, right? Yeah, go down in the water. Like, why are you so stupid? <laughs> and, then, and then the best part is, like, he pulls her up, and I get, like, she's kind of choking, so she's going to need a little bit of a second to, like, catch her breath or whatever. But he pulls her up out of the water and then, like, kind of lays her down. It's like she poses for her murder. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> she, like, sexually poses for her murder. It's bizarre. And I thought it was supposed to be that she was knocked out, but she just moved her head. So it's like, especially when and, she, and yeah, now she's moving more. Yeah, here she is doing the 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 like Sports Illustrator illustrated. Yeah, she's more poses. like sexually aroused than she is like coming back from blacking out. 
Like, look, she just sits here and waits. Like, and then he comes up and he, he fucking chainsaws her here, uh, right here uh, next to the pool. But the thing is, is like, you could have just rolled back into the pool. <laughs> he cannot get you. Like, okay, if a killer has a knife or a machete, he can jump in the pool and stab you in there. You can't operate a fucking chainsaw in water. <laughs> I love this character too, Kendall's like even nerdier friend. Yeah. Who just like asks that girl out, she gives him a look, and he just like goes in that tone, like, well, I guess you're okay, I guess you're a bitch then, kind of. <laughs> yeah, this, like, this is like nerd university because <laughs> if Kendall's the stud, and then this guy's like the actual nerd of the movie, it's like, holy shit, like. But, but yeah, I feel like this nerdy guy, his friend, I feel like he's probably asked out every woman on the college campus so far. He's such a he's such a fascinating character. He gives Kendall a note, and Kendall looks at it and says, like, oh, man. And the guy says, like, oh, don't tell me I'm the bearer of bad news. I could just kill myself. It's like, what's yeah. just like, <laughs> calm down, buddy. <laughs> I feel like some of these lines, like, because they redubbed the movie later. Like, I know, like, Paul Smith didn't even get to dub his lines. But, um, like, they redubbed the movie, the language in later. Um, I feel like some of these, like, they just forgot what the what the real person said. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, like, they just dubbed in some nonsense that didn't even fucking add up. And now here we see the, uh, the killer. He's got his bloody sack. So he's actually taking some of the body parts uh, that he cuts off with the chainsaw. The, the pieces is a... Uh, yeah, Very witty pieces. double entendre, if you will. <laughs> pieces of the jigsaw, pieces of the body. So real quick, while we're watching this guy masturbate in this uh, freezer locker with these body parts, what's your guys... We've established, I've just recently seen this uh, from getting the Blu-ray. What's your guys' history with this film? Um, well, I, going back to... I think we talked about this on uh, the Chopping Mall episode, um, but like uh, in high school, when I was just renting every like cult and weirdo movie I could find, this was this like Chopping Mall. This was one of them, and uh, this was one of a handful uh, that I rented <laughs> maybe like once a year because I got such a kick out of it. Um, so it's a movie I've seen quite a bit. Actually, you just rented it at the same store until the store closed down. Pretty much. <laughs> that was a great scene there where um, Paul Smith sees the body, and literally three seconds before Kendall ran out of the of the pool area, I guess to alert the cops, and the cops were somehow waiting waiting for him. The cops run in to fight Paul Smith, and Kendall runs in with the two by four. Now, how the fuck did this happen? How did he go summon the cops within two seconds? How did he even know his girlfriend was dead by this point in time? And like, why would the like why would the cops go in to apprehend somebody and let a fucking college kid go with well, them? Not with that, but like, why does why does Paul Smith like instantly attack the cops as they walk in? Too, he yeah. like instantly throws like a shoulder, and it's like, man, like Kendall at that point looks like just as much of a suspect as he does to me because they were both in there. Well, yeah, that's what I thought like, they were going for when that moment yeah. when Kendall was there, and he's like even hiding very shadily behind a thing, and then he sees Paul Smith. Like, I thought it was going to be these two guys see each other and they both think each other's the killer, you know. Yeah. Uh, my my history with the film is actually uh, I was introduced to it by Bird, but I mean I'd heard of it and it was one of those films I always wanted to see, and I never got around to. And then when I started hanging out with Bird like years ago, you know he was just like, "What? You haven't seen Pieces?" And he owned one of those like crap 
you know, VHS rip DVD DVDs and showed it to me, and I was just instantly in love with it. And, uh, and I, 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 I think I think Bird was kind of flabbergasted by how much I liked it. And I think even with Trev, like me and him have watched this movie together multiple times too. Yeah, we like to show it to new people, and yeah. It is a great like litmus test when you make new friends to to show them pieces and <laughs> feel about it. Well, I feel like it's a fun romp for everyone because it's eighty five minutes. You're not going to get bored. I mean, no matter how yeah, nonsensical only, it is, it don't drag. You know. And the only thing I haven't really encountered experienced yet with this is I'd still love to see this in a theater with an audience. Yeah. And okay, here they bring in the uh, the professor guy who always gets sexually harassed by his students to like look at the body. Like, why did they really summon him down there? Like, I don't really get that. It's really weird because, like, the 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 police and the police force in this film are just so strange in that they have a tennis expert that works for them. Yeah, they have they deputize a student. Yeah, they ask a professor on the university to basically be their medical examiner. Yeah, I mean, what is going on in the city? Like, are they the only two uh, detectives that are left after some kind of holocaust or something? Like, what's going on? Well, not only that, like, you don't want to let too many people in, like, A, a crime scene, because things could get tampered with. You don't want to let too many people have knowledge of a case, because it could, you know, interfere with your investigation. But, yeah, they're like the laziest cops, man. They're just looking for regular citizens to do all their fucking police work for them. Those wacky Boston police. Boston PD. <laughs> now, when you guys watched it, did you ever think the the super nerd there? Did you ever think that guy could be a red herring? Because I never really did. No. No, I mean, you know it's got to be someone old since they were a kid 40 right. years ago. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? Like, this movie's so wacky because they pretty much keep you in suspense almost to the end of who the killer was. Like, this movie's so fucking wacky, like... There was a point in time when I started doubting that the kid at the beginning would even be the killer. <laughs> well, yeah, and I really, like, the most Italian uh, kind of giallo thing this film could have done would be to get to the end and actually reveal that, like, Christopher George is the killer. You know, right. he's been investigating himself or something. You know, we've seen that multiple times. And... Well, let's talk about Christopher George's, uh, you know, performance in this film. <laughs> it's not even really like a typical cop performance it's just like he's like this gentleman caller who goes around and like he like socializes with people and shit i mean did you ever get really the feeling that he was hard on the case like oh no yeah he's so leisurely it's, it's yeah it's one of the most casual investigations ever he's really happy to just let kendall uh do all the work for him really yeah and it's just the, the way they theorize the cops in this movie. And he's even like, he's still, he's dressing more like the villain in like a, right. you know, a 70 or 80s, a 70s or 80s TV show. Like, I love that not only has the, the Kendall character, like, you know, able to be part of these police operations, but his nerdy friend is allowed to just stand there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's... <laughs> Because you, you know how, like, um, police keep, obviously, keep everything secret, and then, like, they bust people later, and then and they're like, well, he's he's the guy because he had details that we never released, and he knew things only the killer would know. Well, fuck, the whole town knows everything about the killings in this movie. Like, they're just sharing information left and right. Yeah, like, when I watched this the first time, I was even, like, like, okay, I, I get that Kindle... Like, at this point in the movie, I was like, okay, I get the Kindle Horshack here. 
his girlfriend got killed, so he's a suspect and all that. And uh, but like, I never thought he was going to become the main character. I thought this was going to be Christopher George going around this uh, college campus trying to find the killer. But but he, he, Christopher George, even though he's a seasoned police detective, he's just like, no, nah, we need a college kid to break the case because he knows everything about that school. Like they they talk about this college campus like. Like, it's, like, alien, unexplored territory, and you need somebody, like, who's a guy and <laughs> knows it. Well, I've, I've, I mean, I, I go, and I'm sure you would agree that the reason the Kendall character is even in this film probably is this really is a it's – a, it's a movie that's um, a merger of two worlds in filmmaking at that time in that, like we said, they were clearly influenced by Giallos, which usually did have kind of older heroes, mm. you know, like Franco Nero's or, uh, like, Christopher George would headline one, you know? Um, but also, it's obviously trading in in the in the just now emerging and booming slasher genre, right? So they have one foot in that pool, but they're like, oh, we need like young teen and college heroes too, you know? So they're like, well, let's just do the best of both worlds and have Kendall and the old detective, and they and do we'll th- get a double the audience, I'm sure. Yeah, and then, like I guess they didn't know the formula; they just didn't give a shit. But like, it's really interesting in that like all the college, like whatever you know victims like it's not a group of people even though there was a group of like kids at the beginning that we saw like it's really just random students here and there you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but now we know we're in an 80s film yeah because there's a aerobics type ballet (laughs) fusion class going on it's interesting like how like i know i've watched a lot of 80s movies when i think about how many times i've watched a movie that suddenly stops for an aerobic dance sequence yeah like it's shockingly calm, and this is this kind of if you're watching the U.S. version with the U.S. score, that's where you get that great little like almost disco electronics on the dee 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 dee. <laughs> and I don't think this scene goes anywhere either, does it? Well, he eventually kills one of these girls yeah, when they wander off, <clears throat> and like this, like all this location like never reads ever as a college university. I mean, like, we had dance studios, like, at my school, but, I mean, it was within the context of a official building. Like, when they start, like, uh, in a second here, this dancer chick, like, walks to go to the bathroom, like, I mean, it just, they could be anywhere. They're, they're like, going down to the boiler room <laughs> shit almost to use the bathroom. Like, <laughs> this is the most non-collegiate-looking building ever. And especially Boston. A Boston college, you think, would have, like, really traditional buildings and shit at their schools. Am I the only person that's seen Police Academy 6, City Under Siege? Seen it, but a million years ago. <laughs> Do you remember the villain in that was actually like a lot like what we just saw of the villain here? Where yeah, he's, he's like just, a trench coat uh, man, right? Yeah, a trench coat and a, tie and a fedora, and he's always mm-hmm. behind a screen talking to the, his henchmen. Yeah. That's, a lot of these shots remind me of that today. You could do a supercut on pieces <laughs> in Police Academy 16, City Under Siege. The last theatrically released Police Academy. I know because I saw it in theater. That's right. It's very, very, very sad. <laughs> She's going through, she really is going through like a maze to get to Yeah, get it's like a maze step. and it's so narrow. Like there's no way, you know, classes could let out and accommodate people walking back and forth. I mean, it's just, it's just I mean, it's right there. Two girls couldn't walk down that same hallway at the same time. This is where uh, Christopher George really starts getting the hard sell here, where he has to convince, uh, you know, that this kid that he's the real detective here. <laughs> here we have former uh, police commissioner, not police commissioner, but former baseball commissioner uh, Bart Giamatti, Paul Giamatti's dad, playing this role. 
what do you what do you guys think about Christopher George's always in his mouth but never lit cigar? <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice little it's a nice character touch, right? Yeah. John, Christopher George is one of those guys, right? Of just of that time period where I feel like we don't have actors like that anymore. Yeah. Um, actually, if if you go look him up, uh, like read his story on Wikipedia. He's got like this kind of amazing life story um, where he was in the military, fought in the Korean War. He went on to work as a private investigator and a bartender in a Miami bar. He has a he held black belts in karate and judo. He was a bouncer in tough restaurants and he had a pilot's license. It's like, dude, this guy was a badass, you know. And and then he becomes this kind of grizzled old character actor, you know, late in life. And uh, I just think that's awesome. I miss guys like that. Yeah, the film industry doesn't really allow that. Here he is with his wife, who's a... Yeah, his real-life wife. Yeah. yeah, his real-life wife, who, in this movie, she's playing a famous tennis player. Keep in mind, tennis players uh, usually retire around 26. This woman's clearly in her mid-40s. But um, <laughs> she's so bored with tennis, apparently. This is the way I read the story. Correct me if I'm wrong. She's so bored with tennis <laughs> that she wants to go undercover for the police to help. <laughs> catch this killer is it, that's what's yeah, going on right i'm pretty sure and they're and they're all about it uh they because they've already got her working on like a desk job or something right yeah and now they they allow her to go undercover at the school because uh, yeah kendall instantly recognizes her and but but correct me if i'm wrong though she's not she's not, she does she's not like she works with the police but she's not really a police officer per se no i don't think so i think she's yeah. just like i think she is a tennis pro yeah. and i think they they use her like for cases like this it's <laughs> i don't know i have no idea what's happening <laughs> christopher george has a has an army of cab drivers hot dog <laughs> vendors and street sweepers taking care of all the crime in the city he'll recruit anybody you could almost make an argument that you could read this film to where like Christopher George is actually Kendall's father and just doesn't want to tell him right. because he like is just <laughs> so instantly taken with him, right? Then the second Kendall leaves here, the first thing Christopher George says to the tennis pro is, "Ah, he's a good kid. You're really gonna like him." It's like, why are you so? Why are you so interested in this kid? He doesn't know him, really. So we're just talking about Christopher George. And his ascent into stardom at a later age. He has age. a real uh, Willem Dafoe-ness to him. But, like, that hair, man, that Christopher George hair, man, like, I swear, like, he, like it seemed like they were probably hairspraying that hair and laying it down perfectly in between every take, man. Like, man's hair does not move whatsoever. You know, he unfortunately died of a heart attack just, like, a year after this film, and I wonder yeah. if that's the only reason we don't have pieces two and three and four, you know? It could be. Now, here's another woman that, doesn't she wander off the street to want to know what's going on at the university? He recruits her, too, to help, right? Yeah. 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 So if this happened around us, we you think we could just, like, talk to him and he'd let us do whatever we want? Yeah, if Christopher George was, like, the detective in our cities, we could all be, like, running around catching killers and... What's awesome is this lady comes in and she says, I hear rumors, you know, uh, that there's a maniac running loose killing people at the university. And Christopher George, like, plays it off and he goes, there are rumors at that university every couple of months. Rumors of, like, a murder spree every couple of months? This is so fucking insane. (laughs) No, this is, I mean, we've established earlier that this movie has no idea what it's doing yeah <laughs> now here we see the amazing skills of this world famous tennis pro you know just flailing a racket but i love these people watching the tennis match yeah, like, i like the whole, the whole their heads are going back and forth like it's a cartoon or something yeah and like she's a tennis pro and then they have her 
uh, play against a girl who's like never played tennis before, apparently. And everybody's <laughs> clapping and shit. But her undercover, like, whatever identity was that she was going to be the new tennis coach, right? Of a school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is she a she, real she, tennis she, pro? I just, yeah, I just, no, she is because Kendall recognizes her and says, yeah. I watch all your matches on TV. So this would be like if you were at a school and they hired like Serena Williams to come in and be the new tennis coach. But right. actually, Serena Williams is there to catch the serial killer that's on campus. <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense. Yeah, it's 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 very bizarre. It's almost like Scooby Dooish in a way. And why do they kiss after the match? Is that standard tennis? Yeah, that, in Boston. In yeah, Boston, that, that clearly gives it away that this was filmed, you know, overseas where everybody kiss each other on the cheek and not in Boston. You know what I mean? I tell you what, it's pretty amazing too that this is actually a university that has like sirens and shit that play announcements and stuff, <laughs> and that music too. Like, yeah, kind of like the march music. Yeah, I like the Kendall is just such like a you know like a hound dog too that he's probably slept with every girl on campus, but the the minute he met her, right, he's just yeah. he set his sights on this tennis pro and he's like, I'm gonna get that too. Yeah, but he, but he doesn't. She's like his white whale now, you know. Yeah, but he still doesn't stop sleeping with other girls. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. yeah, I guess that would be a challenge. You know, he's like you bang all these uh, college gutter skanks who will bang anything that moves. You got to set your sights on a famous forty-three-year-old uh, woman. And it's really weird too, because like maybe it's just her features, how she naturally looks, but like. This whole movie, I constantly felt like she was trying to uh, dress like a little girl or something. <laughs> here we have another great scene with the uh, the dean, Dean Worms are here, whatever his name is, and uh, he's acting very hinky. Okay, here's that other woman that wandered in the police station and got recruited into being part yeah. of the investigation. <laughs> the movie really doesn't like stop to give her like a story at all, right? No. We don't know what, who she is, why she's here. Oh. She just... they're, they're talking uh they're talking about Willard who last we saw uh was fighting police officers. Yeah, yeah she says they had, Yeah, they had to release him now cuz they don't have enough evidence. No. I mean, I feel like assaulting the police as they come in would keep you locked up for a little bit. But yeah, at least 30 days in county jail or something. But these these police they they were rough and tumble. They could take an ass whooping and not press charges. Well, they probably have like like you said, they probably have like uh, retail clerks running the jail. Like <laughs> yeah, the, you know, Christopher George's tailor is probably the main prison guard. <laughs> they recruit high school kids who work in ice cream shops to come run run the penal system in Boston. He's really taking his time with this puzzle. I know, and like I, re- I'll be honest with you. Like, obviously, he puts the puzzle together, which is the image of a woman. So he's putting a woman together, and then he's doing the killings together, the body parts, you know. And uh, I gotta say, like, I never really like correlated exactly the puzzle putting together with the uh, the body part taken. Like, in terms of like, well, no, why would you? The movie doesn't tell you that until like the last ten seconds. Well, not only that, but, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, not only that, but it's kind of like. He's just putting, like, random pieces of the puzzle. Like, I could understand if, if we saw him putting, like, just the right arm, and then he was collecting yeah, the right arm. He's, like, he's really <laughs> struggling with this one. Oh, he, he is furious with this one. 
And I kind of don't really understand why, why, like, with the puzzle scenes, like, he's wearing the gloves, which obviously make it hard to put the puzzle together. Because, like, you know, obviously, well, we're, you know, the directors probably think we're having him wear the gloves to protect his identity. But everybody in this movie is a 55-year-old white man. <laughs> like, it's, it's not like it really matters, you know what I mean? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you guys to the test there. Which movie you like better, Maniac or Pieces? Oh, I definitely like Pieces more. Yeah, <laughs> I like I Pieces see. more. Yeah, I do too. Maniac but, is a better movie. <laughs> yeah. But, but everybody nothing... jerks off on Maniac so hard. Well, I actually, actually prefer the, the remake, too. Yeah, that's, I do too. I was just about to say that. Uh, I, I, own, I own both the original and the remake on Blu-ray, but I prefer the remake. I own the remake, but I've never watched it. I've, I've oh, it's great. Yeah, I've rented the original, but I don't know. I think, like, Maniac really... I mean, Maniac's not really a, a great film, but, I mean, that Joe Spinell performance is what, you know, pulls you well, through. Th- that and um, the Savini effects. Right, yeah. See, I thought the Savini effects were kind of... Na- <laughs> I don't know, like, too low budget yeah, on Maniac. Yeah, the Savini shitty. effects honestly didn't hold up as well no. last time I watched it. Uh, well, they have, like, they do have, like, kind of a gritty grindhouse charm to them, though, still. But they're yeah. not as best to work, yeah. Like it just—I mean, just compared compared to like Friday the Thirteenth, and right. you know, yeah, it's just like he just didn't have the budget to do them right or something. There was some movie, was it Mother's Day, that claimed to have Savini effects or that he had some kind of bullshit credit, like effects consultant, but he really didn't have anything to do with the effects. Um, I know what you're talking. It's not Mother's Day, but I I know what you're talking about. Um, it's some really obscure thing. Yeah. It's a movie that I don't even know if it's on DVD or anything. Yeah. Forget what it's called. I know what you mean. Oh, Tom Savini. I love I love that Tom Savini is now acting on the From Dust Till Dawn TV show, but he does not play his character from the movies. <laughs> so I feel like Tom Savini will act in anything. Oh, he will. He will. I'm surprised he's not doing the... Uh, the... Uh, non-sexual roles in all these Hollywood blockbuster, mockbuster porno remakes that they do all the time. I think it's a shame that, and it's, I'm not going to tell him his business and tell him what to do, and I'm sure he has his reasons, but I think it's a shame that he hasn't done effects for a movie in a long time. I mean, I know he runs the school and he trains, like, the next yeah. generation, but I'm surprised he hasn't come back to have, you know, like, one of those high-profile, like, oh, the first Tom Savini effects in a film in, you know, ten or so years. And yeah. I'm surprised we haven't had something like that. Well, it's weird with, with movies, he actually does think of himself as, like, an actor. Like, yeah, I've heard of him say, like, you know... When I make movies, like I focus on my acting. Like he's like, I don't, like he thinks he's like a real actor. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All he wants to do is train the next generation of unemployed. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's the right. thing. Is like, what, there's like, no you're demand training them, but great. Unless they get a job at K and B, then yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And even K and B, like, doesn't nearly. I don't see their name on as much shit as I used to. It's all CGI. Let's get that CGI going. Now, could you remake pieces with all CGI gore? <laughs> Do you think that would work? Well, you could, but I, who would watch it? <laughs> I feel like it, like it kind. Of, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I actually like his movies. I haven't seen Rob Zombie's new movie, but I like his movies. But it really kind of like put a damper on it when he started using CGI blood squibs and shit. I was like, really, Rob Zombie's going to use CGI shit? 
Yeah, I like mean, everyone. I, that's just everyone. That's how I felt, what, especially with um, Survival of the Dead and some yeah. of the CGI stuff. In oh, there. yeah. So, when Romero yeah. started doing it, that was heartbreaking because his movies always had such great effects. And it sucks to when someone like Romero does it because because he doesn't care about CGI and he's just doing it for budgetary reasons. Yeah. He doesn't put the time and effort into making sure the shot works with the CGI, so it looks even worse, you know? Well, I think he just didn't have the money to do good CGI, where Rob Zombie, like, Devil's Rejects actually had a good budget, you know? This is probably, this is a, another good, like, really brutal murder, yeah. though, effects-wise. Like, the arm getting chopped off was pretty great, and then we have a moment coming up where he cuts her midsection, and uh, I know they said they just actually used a pig and, like, right. cut a pig, but it, it looks great in the moment. Well, we totally, we totally kind of missed it. We got to explain to the listeners that he actually snuck into the elevator with the woman holding the chainsaw behind his back somehow. <laughs> she couldn't yeah, see it. Yeah, I think I've always, I always took it more like it was in his trench coat, and he, like, pulled it out, and she, like, didn't notice it at first. But it's like, once you, he got in and turned around because the saw blade was sticking out the back, like, wouldn't she know exactly what was up? It's like people are so afraid of the chainsaw that they get frozen for a good 30 to 35 seconds, <laughs> giving him ample time to chop them up. But the effects are great in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of shit that happens off screen, and there's some shit that happens on screen. Like, the arm coming off is awesome. Now you see the, the, the torso, the body, whatever. But, like, yeah, I mean, it, it is good for, you know, how relatively cheap the rest of the movie is. Yeah. Here's Kendall telling the police how to do their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he actually directs will, like Kendall the patrol has, officers. Kendall has declared martial law at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will we've say been, like we've um, declared Kendall law all over this university. <laughs> uh, I mean, I will say like uh, what we were talking about with CGI gore. That just makes me appreciate movies like um, the Evil Dead remake, and even though I didn't like it, but um, like Green Inferno using uh, a lot of practical effects. It's so easy now not to do it, and I know why they don't because. You know, it's a pain in the ass to reset and do retakes on gore effects, but, I mean, the final product always looks better. Yeah, like, I just, I don't know, like, because there, there, there's only been a couple movies that had good CGI blood splatters. Like, there's certain ones, like, shockingly, because it's a cheap-ass movie, but House of the Dead actually used a bunch of CGI splatters that I didn't even know were CGI splatters for a long time. But, like... Like, I even have a program on my computer where, like, like you can buy these things where, like, they actually film real squibs going off and then lay it in. And, like, why they don't do that more, I don't understand. Instead of, like, using the actual CGI blood. Because when you use the, the green screen footage of the real squibs going off, like, it's a little tricky to lay it. It has to be laid in the right way and blowing off in the right direction all that. But, like... Like, it actually looks like something real tangible. It doesn't have that shiny CGI look. So I don't understand why the, like, the big, you know, professional CGI companies don't do that. You know what I mean? Now, do you guys feel like the movie just basically gave away that it is the Dean in that moment right there? Because he was walking around, or... Yeah, because like they say, they ask the one professor, like, "Where'd you just come from?" And I'm, I need to talk to you later. And then we see the dean coming from the other end of the hall, and he looks kind of like straightening his suit and everything. And yeah, like I, I, I actually really thought that they were. Uh... Ah, but see, now we see that Willard is also there. So the thing that is clever about this scene is that all three of our suspects enter, and like it's like they've been, hang- they've all been hanging around. Yeah, I really thought this scene was really like trying to set up the professor, but um. And it was actually that scene, like how you said, they all kind of come around the corner and they're all there. 
like mm. this shot here. Like this really gave me <laughs> this really gave me flashbacks to Clue. The best was that Willard was there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they, they suspected him. Now they're you know. Now this girl is so pathetic that Kendall's having sex with, ain't she? She's so needy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does say there, "You're in bed with Chainsaw Charlie," which I wonder if Vince McMahon is a huge Pieces fan, and that's what led to he could Kendall, that name to Terry Funk eventually. Kendall's doing some full frontal here. Yeah, we get to uh, yeah, we got Kendall uh, hanging Kendall dog. Dong. Yeah. Which I like. I guess that's why they they wanted to show the you know the head explain like how is this nerd banging all these girls like oh he has a big dong okay. This girl right here is ridiculous. Where she says like you know come back to bed. You can even gag me if you want, so I won't yeah. make. Because <laughs> she keeps screaming and he's afraid she's, she's going to be <laughs> look at that uh, for a murder victim. Did you see the convenient flower placement a moment ago? Yeah, I love the plant covering the dong. <laughs> even though we just saw the dong for like a good ten <laughs> seconds. Uh, now, here comes one of the greatest scenes in, I'd say, cinema history, not just in pieces. Oh, I'll agree with that for sure. Suddenly, there is a Asian gentleman <laughs> wearing a, uh, like, a running, tra- like, a track suit. Because uh, uh, Linda Day here, the tennis pro, is patrolling at night looking for the killer. This uh, Asian gentleman jumps out, starts whipping her ass with some kung fu out of nowhere. And again, that's it's just a pure like. Well, what was popular at the box office right now? Oh, people like these Bruce Lee films and everything. We'll just we'll throw that in just to kind of get that market, so we can throw that scene in the trailer. I'm sure you know. Because they really build this up. They do do a good job of building this up suspensively that you think the killer is going to come out or something. I really do. I'm sure you do too, Goat. I, I really do just like miss the days of these kind of exploitation films, though, that were yeah. built on. Let's rip off everything that's popular right now and, and make a film that's mostly like where we can build an interesting trailer. And and sometimes the trailers were better than the movie, actually a lot of times. But yeah. still, I just miss the feel of those like so much. Oh, I, I, I mean, they don't even make movies like this in, anymore, period. I mean, this, go, this goes back to what we were talking about when we were watching uh, Chopping Mall. You know, everything's um, on the sci-fi channel or it's mm-hmm. some bullshit someone made in their backyard. You know, they don't. Yeah, they really don't make stuff like this. Yeah, here comes the awesome kung fu. Um, yeah, I miss the showmanship of that of creating a trailer. Now you don't. Now there's no reason because nobody watches trailers, and then your mm. film isn't going to play anywhere. So like, what's the point? It's just going to be a tiny tile on Netflix, and you'll receive fifty dollars for <laughs> making. It also used to be that the trailers were uh, like the directors and stuff would like help make them. Now they're yeah. just sent to companies yeah. to, to throw them together. And now, in a great trend, now the movies are sent to trailer companies to re-edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so here, and then it, 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 it turns out here that this guy is a teacher at the school. Yeah, he's yeah. Kendall's kung fu professor. Yeah, so <laughs> the kung fu professor is randomly attacking women. I mean, he was, he, like, it wasn't like he jumped out and threw a kick at her face to scare her. He really beat the shit out of her. He punched her, he kicked her. Finally, she then, then, he bl- he, then he blames his behavior on bad chop suey that he yeah. ate. Yeah. But we also, like, he kicks her ass for a f- couple seconds, but then she just takes him down with, like, one kick to the nuts. It's like, yeah. what a great kung fu professor. But I, I also know. like that he's just like, yeah, I'm sorry, bad chop suey, and then he leaves the film, never to be seen again. No, never. You'll never see this motherfucker. <laughs> Ever. You can watch this movie a hundred more times. You won't even see him in the background eating a donut. Nowhere. Do universities have kung fu professors? <laughs> I think this one they does. do. I, th- I think this one does. And that scene was also the inspiration for the uh, 
pancake girl in Cabin Fever. Pancake uh, young man, you mean? Yeah. Young oh yeah. I why do I? Well, he, the damn kid looks like a girl. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that's interesting. I would never have pieced that together. Was that a pun? No, it wasn't. I wish I was that smart. <laughs> now, he, here we have, you know, the misdirect with Linda Day walking around. Also, that other woman that was recruited into the police force to help find the killer. She's also wandering around the school late at night. And obviously, the killer's going to get her. Why didn't Christopher George recruit the Kung Fu professor to help him get the killer instead of hiring a tennis pro to do it? Yeah, you think a guy who actually can defend himself and knows kung fu would be a little. <laughs> but then more again, she quick. did beat him in a fight, so that I guess is maybe true. He was doing. Maybe Dennis George, or sorry, Christopher George. Maybe he has um, like uh, like Mortal Kombat style tournaments with the citizens <laughs> of the uh, of the town, and they have to fight to see who's going to be able to volunteer for the police force. Now, did you guys ever um, think that maybe the killer, you know, should have switched, like, had multiple chainsaws, the kind of way they did in TCM2, how Dennis Hopper had all those different chainsaws? Because, I mean, this this full-size one, it seems like it would be really hard to lug around and uh, sneak into yeah. a lot of areas the way he does. See, here's another area. This is the uh, recreation slash gym area or whatever that that slutty girl was talking about at the beginning of the movie that has a waterbed in and out. But, I mean, just look at, like, look at this and explain to me what this is. This just looks like some rooms in a looks mansion. like a bar. Yeah, like, it's just weird. <laughs> like, it doesn't look like any any school, like, anybody's ever been to. I was just was thinking, any of this movie shot anywhere near a real school? That's what I was trying to find out, but yeah. It was like, shot in Valencia, Spain, but I don't know like what their locations actually yeah. were. I was just a thinking bar, that some uh, guy's house. <laughs> for as many um for as many Jason, Freddy, Leatherface, Michael Myers like action figures I've seen, I'm surprised no company has made like the pieces killer, you know, with the the yellow chainsaw and the trench coat and the fedora. Well, you think the licensing rights would be very cheap to attain. They should get Sideshow Collectibles should do like a limited run $250 12-inch doll. <laughs> yeah, but you got and they have a two-pack with Kendall in there too. Well, <laughs> Kendall with anatomically correct hanging <laughs> dong. With action cardigan sweater. Yeah. Trev, I do think we should revisit a conversation we've had a few times about just how much of a pain in the ass waterbeds are. Waterbeds are terrible. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they're, they're really out of fashion now anyways. I think everyone kind of got over it. But there was definitely this period of like the 80s and 90s where people thought waterbeds were great. And uh, they're actually a piece of shit. I mean, for, like, they're bad for you know, your you back. To, bad for your back. You sit down. You When you lay in them, it takes you like 10 minutes to get out of bed because you got to work your way over to the edge and you know it's kind of and you're, con- you're constantly moving uh, yeah. like my friend one of my close friends in high school had a waterbed and anytime i sat down on it i i was just i was moving all the time and like that said no this, need for that. this is the sequence i was talking about earlier of course i yeah. mean this the nothing benefits from beautiful. blu-ray more than this you know yeah. this is actually beautiful i mean you know beautiful in the way a horrible murder can be in these films but yeah for people who haven't seen it he starts he throws this woman down on the waterbed and starts stabbing her with a large knife Obviously, some of the, um, I mean, stabbing her pretty good, but obviously she's moving around, so he's also stabbing the waterbed. So you get, she's basically like rolling around in this pool of half blood, half water, and it's in slow motion, and it's great. Before this is she, definitely the closest uh, 
thing this movie has to an iconic scene. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, well, except you, for I the think, very end. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I think it's the Arrow Blu-ray has a really cool cover of this scene drawn by Jeff Zornow, and it's just, like, the waterbed kill, and there's a bunch of bloody body parts everywhere. Now, here's where, like, Kendall really thinks he's going to, like, get into Linda Day's pants, too. I thought he was. When I watched this there, I thought he was. Like, he try, he takes her back to her dorm room, a 43-year-old woman staying in a dorm room. Uh, he tries, like, don't you have any coffee? Like, that's his pickup line. <laughs> don't you have any coffee? Like, he's so entitled. Like, I almost thought it was, you could even read that this is a possible date rate type situation. Oh, yeah, that. he's like Brock, he's Brock Turner waiting to happen. Yeah. And the, maybe he, that's why. Maybe that's how we're supposed to read the ending of like that thing is doing the world a favor, right? Well, I guess we'll get to that. Like, yeah. And here, we, here we have a rotten eye zombie pops out of nowhere. Oh, it's yeah. just the nerd wearing a mask. That always <laughs> happened. Was nerds would just lurk everywhere and wearing like a punk rock like. Yeah. Like, what was that like? The heavy metal jacket. <laughs> Sex <laughs> pistols, denim jacket. <laughs> Johnny Rotten. And he was jacket. and he was only there to like make fun of Kendall for not getting in her pants. Yeah. He just like he turned around and he says like, "Oh, Casanova," and then walks away. And it's like, "What?" Again, you're like, "What the hell is happening in this film?" Yeah, he he make he, okay, he makes fun of a guy who okay, the guy he's making fun of is very nerdy in his own right, but he makes fun of a guy who's banging like literally every girl in college. Okay, he couldn't bang this one 43-year-old woman. Whatever. Now that guy's going to go back to his dorm room and fuck a jar of Vaseline. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is the shittiest bully, you know, mocking thing I've ever seen. Now, we saw the killer. He had that lady hanging up on a meat hook, but she wasn't chopped mm-hmm. up yet like the other ones. So, I don't really know kind of how that fits with what happens later with the pieces. Another great tennis scene here. Girl lobbing balls the first time she's ever touched a fucking tennis racket. <laughs> then, the, then the George Romero-esque stock music, march, marching band music starts playing <laughs> over the loudspeakers at the school. And she really angrily throws some tennis balls and storms off. Like, yeah. yeah, she's like, "That's this marching band music really prevents me from just playing tennis by myself. Yeah, by myself. She's been playing all night. Now this music blaring. Again, going into a brick building with a wood door. Something you would never see on any college campus. Now, like, this scene, like, this showering scene out of nowhere, like, I felt like they were really, like, even though this is a college slasher, like, I feel like they were really trying to capture the uh, Friday the 13th camping genre here. With the unnecessary, and she showers yeah. with like the little curtain open, like fuck the world. <laughs> I'm showering in here. <laughs> Obviously, here comes the killer. Again, no, no lockers, just wooden. Well, there is lockers, but they're just like wooden doors and shit. Yeah, this looks <laughs> like a, like a country club locker room. Yeah. yeah, I think they just shot this in like rich people places, like mansions, country clubs. I mean, this Kendall does not give up, man. He would not let this no. this grown woman, old, almost old enough to be his mom, rest for a second. Meanwhile, aren't they supposed to be like? Aren't they supposed to be looking for a serial killer? Yeah. <laughs> Do they have time to just like go tend to play tennis? You know. <laughs> well, like I get her. Like maybe she's got to teach a tennis class to like you know keep her her cover up. But why is she just playing random tennis with him like a date? 
Man, can you imagine seeing this movie on 42nd Street back in the day? What, oh, a, what an experience it must have been. Other than how pissy the theater would probably smell. It would be. Well, yeah. Here's an, here's another young woman terrified in fear by a chainsaw. Have you had a chance to watch that documentary uh, go at about 42nd yeah. Street? I yeah, it's great. I actually watched it like the day I got it, the, the movie. Yeah, yeah we watched movie. it and we were just all like, you know, it's... it's the guy was talking about how it's weird that I'm nostalgic for something I never even experienced, but yeah. that ultimate thing of like you feel like, oh, of course they all say it was super dangerous to be there, and you were always worried for your life. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> what a, what a blast! And everyone wants wishes it was that way again, you know? Yeah, th- I mean, this is a pretty awesome horse. Now that chainsaw went through that door right by that girl's head. That's pretty yeah. unsafe by any yeah. measure. And I do. Oh, like, this is actually the one I was talking about earlier. Actually, where they when when he cuts her stomach, pig. you see, yeah. yeah. And I mean, this movie really goes like the grindhouse nasty way, like even above like a Friday Thirteenth, because like first they have her running through her death scene topless, so like that's a little sleazy right there. Then like that was just over the top. I mean, it's kind of realistic and sells the fear, but it's so gross how she pees herself because mm-hmm, she's so mm-hmm. afraid. And then he just walks in and casually cuts her in half. And then Some blood sprays in from a spray. Yeah, yeah, from a direction that her body is not at. But hey, <laughs> it well, came it, from it like was, several. Directions. Yeah, I was gonna say it was coming from all sides. Like this whole like like it's really hard to like track this whole conversation they have with Willard. Yeah. No, this conversation's crazy. Uh, it makes no sense. Because she's a... asking like we she's asking who can turn off the marching band music. And he's saying he says like that's not my job. You know, it's someone else. Yeah. And she says, well, let's okay, well can we use your phone to call the Dean and see if they're supposed to be testing? And he's just gets really mad. Like no one's allowed to use that phone. Yeah. My favorite line is yet to come and I'll be sure. Yeah, oh yeah. But here's like, now he's finally going to let them use the phone. He, he, I guess he makes, he agrees to that. But then in a moment they do, they never show them try to use the phone. Instead, they just cut right to him going to turn the music off, which is exactly what he said. He can't do. Yeah, he said he said electronics <laughs> are someone else's responsibility, and then he goes to take care of the electronics. Mm-hmm. And then he yeah, and then he comes back. I actually really wish Paul Smith was in this movie more. To be honest with you, I'd watch a whole movie about this guy. Have you guys watched on the uh, extras disc his like fifty minute interview where he talks about his entire career? I mean, talk I, about I have. It's interesting. Charming man. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely want to check out. I actually have Popeye recorded on my DVR. I think I'll check that out next. <laughs> Wait. This <laughs> this here where he just pulls out some keys and says, these aren't my keys. Yeah. yeah. What does that have? What what does that have to do with anything? And what? Nothing, yeah, but then it's also because like, he doesn't use the keys for anything. So yeah. he just flips the switch to turn off the music. So why does it matter? They're not his keys. Whose and keys who's... are they? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he looks just as confused as we are. <laughs> and he, he don't let it go either. He's like, and these are the keys that are in his fucking pocket, too. It's like somebody switched the keys in his own pocket. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then uh, there's another... This is uh, a, a great moment coming up here, too. This movie's just full of them. I mean, obviously you gr- got the great conversation with Willard that makes no sense, but uh, like that little wandering around, that was the only part of the movie that I really felt like was some padding, you know? Because mm-hmm. it really didn't... And none of it like even made sense at all. No, not Susie Bellings. No, yeah, because like, like first of all, they don't even know that somebody's been killed. They just know some lousy <laughs> music's been right. playing for the last half hour. But um, I like 
this is the part where I almost started wondering, did you guys ever think this maybe? I started wondering if Kendall was working with the killer, because he wandered like directly right into where the girl had no, been not, No, man, not Kendall. I never thought that for a second. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Not Big Dong Kendall. <laughs> this, is some great, this is the best acting in the movie, by the way. Yeah. She's bastard over and over. Yeah, she gets really righteous with screaming this shit. And Christopher George, not to be outdone, does some nice overacting there as well. I love I love how Christopher George is like having a telephone conversation with a guy who's probably like I don't know, probably like a hundred yards away in the same building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what tells his partner. His partner says he's like tired and he's like, I've been going twenty three hours straight. Christopher George tells him to take some uppers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A police officer recommend to another police officer just take some fucking just get wired man we gotta stay up <laughs> and like chris christopher george is really commanding to everybody like we gotta stay up we gotta catch this killer meanwhile have, hasn't left his desk in days like how are you gonna find a killer just sitting at a desk sifting through papers because he's having all these college kids do it for him well yeah and then we're then we just have like another great transaction where this, his partner says like geez i'm tired i can't go through all these files and chris george says hey you know what i'll send that kid kendall yeah, to help you out. <laughs> his, partner, his partner says, "Like what? We can't use a suspect." And Christopher George gets instantly so offended. He's like, yeah. "What do you mean, suspect? Kendall's great." I'll tell you what. OJ would have never gotten in jail if uh, Christopher George was. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like he's gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Not nah, Kendall." <laughs> now this is kind of the first indication this uh, killer masturbation scene here, where. Uh, you know, he's putting his mom's, uh, you know, f- uh, fuck me pumps on the uh, the corpse here. I guess this is the first time I was really like, okay, I kind of get where, where this is going yeah. now, you know. He only managed to put it on one shoe. Well, on one, uh, on one foot. On, one, on the Blu-ray, too, there's one a nice, foot, you, can, yeah. you can tell the detail. Like, the one shoe falls off, and you actually see the actress kind of curl her toes to try and put the shoe back on, even <laughs> though she's supposed to be dead. Yeah, he could, he could at least kill girls that have the right shoe size. Come on, get with it. Jean, some whatever Simone doesn't do. Uh, he doesn't do uh, more than one take. Who does this guy with the mustache look like? It's been bothering me all night. I mean, yeah. He looks has kind of a John Waters vibe to him. Somebody. I was thinking like maybe a young John Cleese, but I don't know. I could see that, like John Cleese mixed with John Waters. <laughs> which what a fantastic creation that would be. If, if John Cleese. John Waters and Lee Van Cleef had a baby. It'd be this motherfucker. (laughs) Maybe that is uh, this guy's origin. We don't know. Like, I really don't even want to make fun of him just because, like, he's, like, the only actor that, like, participates in all the special features now and shit still. Yeah, and actually, the commentary is actually pretty fun to listen to because he's got a really good sense of humor about the film. But there's something about him, like... Like, you feel like you're watching an Android program to act in a movie or a, a wax figure being dragged around Weekend at Bernie style more than you are a real human being with emotions. Well, as soon as she turns around, there's Kendall to bump her right in the groin there. <laughs> this fucker does not give up. Why? <laughs> I just love that this college kid is helping, like... The sergeant of police go through records. He, he tells uh, he tells the tennis pro like, oh yeah, the lieutenant wants me to help go through some records, and she's like, well, isn't he unorthodox? Yeah, he hired you. You're a tennis <laughs> pro. What are you doing? 
tennis players, college students. No, no wonder this killer is having the spree of all time, like not getting caught. Is this the most inept police department in a movie history? It's got to be right. I mean, other than I mean, like, like those down south slashers, where there's some like Bubba Sheriff. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great scene. You you could tell this this silver haired gentleman doesn't want anything to do with this cocky college kid. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that has any sense. He's the only one who knows how to yeah. be a cop. <laughs> He's like, fuck, man. No wonder we never catch any killers in this place. Except later on, he will lose that sense, and we'll see that eventually. Yeah. But like, I was really surprised. I think it was during the Paul Smith interview. He. He mentioned the Kindle guy and how he was a great actor and shit. And I, I read the Kindle guy's credits. Like he only made a couple other like. It seemed like they were horror movies, uh, you know, at the time overseas. But uh, yeah, not much of a career, I guess, long term. Unless there's just he did shit so obscure that IMDb doesn't know about it. It's strange you didn't become the horror icon like Bruce Campbell did or something, you know? Yeah. Or you, like we, we we could be bringing it back now and doing like Kendall versus Pieces on exactly. Stars. <laughs> he didn't even have the career of a Bruce Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Bruce Campbell. It's all about Bruce Abbott. <laughs> now here we are. We're kind of coming into the home stretch already here. Mm-hmm. And we're only, what, like 65 minutes? Sorry, 70 minutes into the movie. Do you think the uh, short running time, the quick pace of this movie is what really, you know, makes it good? Well, it's to its advantage for sure that it doesn't overstay its welcome. And it, it you can be like this wacky and this funny and get in and get out pretty quickly. If it, this kind of nonsense went on for two hours, even I would start to get a little like, yeah. you know, tired with it. Because even by like that time period, like even by like, you know, Friday the 13th standards, like... They they pack a lot of gory victim deaths into a short running time, you know. Now this is the whole scene where I actually do like the dean's performance as he starts to get kind of really nervous and fidgety, and yeah, we'll see him like giving her the coffee and spiking it. Yeah, you know, he's got like dra- look at him, he's got like Dracula candles on his like uh, mantle there. This guy's definitely a bad yeah. guy. <laughs> you, know, you know, he's sticking those candles up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they used to be white. Yeah. <laughs> Now they've seen every inch of his colon, but uh, but yeah, like obviously, okay, this is the the, the time. Now, what do you think? Like, I, like they actually show him like poisoning the coffee right here, right? Yeah. And like, I kind of wish they didn't because I didn't really want to know right away that like they really give it away that he's up to some shit. And I, but like, I totally, you know, he's nervous as fuck, and that's why he's going to kill this lady. But like, I felt like he didn't really need to do this. Like, I don't think she was suspecting him at all. No, and you're right. It is. It, this is an odd moment in the film, as opposed to all the normal ones. But um, it's just like the movie has no idea how to reveal like who the killer is, and yeah. they just like it, there is no big surprise reveal. It's just suddenly like, oh, by the way, it's this guy. Now you know. Yeah, I think a more logical movie would just have them sitting down to drink the tea, and then she starts getting woozy, and she's like, "What's happening?" And then he reveals himself. Like a like they really kind of just gave this away about three or four minutes too early. It's very a interesting reveal. Very interesting kitchen, though, where it's yeah, like split and has like kind of glass door. I don't know. I don't There's know. There's like two kitchens, like in one. In one, it's weird. Yeah. But you know, this is Boston, right? And they they build oh, yeah, things man. interesting in Boston. 
I love too how she was like he was taking so long with the coffee that she was just about ready to get up and leave, but then right. he brings the coffee and she decides to stay instead. And he makes a big deal out of it. It's like it's not real coffee. It's like Sanka or something. And it's, it's, like, it's instant, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, no shit, you made it in like 45 seconds. <laughs> Which was still too long for her, apparently. Exactly. She's like, oh, fuck this. I gotta get out there and find that killer. But I love this, too, in that she takes like two sips right here, and then she asks a question. He gets really nervous, and he's just like, do you want some more coffee? Yeah. <laughs> and, and she's like, yeah, I, I would, actually. It turns into a bizarre coffee commercial here for a moment. Yeah. I'm surprised he doesn't like pick the jar up and look into the camera. Trev, where's the Wendy's uh, scene? Oh, it's it's like the next thing we'll see. Yeah, I was wondering about that. How do they get those Wendy's wrappers into uh, Spain? <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, over? it's almost like for a moment, it's like Happy Madison presents pieces yeah. right, with like the, that kind of blatant product placement. I think if they did remake pieces, I would get the Adam Sandler crew to do it. <laughs> That's a good call. Here he is again with the second cup. Of, okay, two cups of f- fake instant coffee, f- thirty-five drops of muscle relaxer, or whatever the fuck he's putting it. <laughs> like, how did you not? Taste yeah, he really it? like he really overdoes it this time. I think. Yeah. He's starting to just act like Mr. Bean, like yeah, trying to yeah, make. Like, he's not a patient guy, but yeah, like look how much like he puts in this time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, put, he should just give her the bottle and be like, "I got this great shit. It's really fucking." Hey, Wendy's. Yeah, see, yeah, everybody here we have, Wendy's. No, they didn't. okay. Okay, did you see like okay? Conveniently, the Wendy's like fry box was empty and shit as the guy was fake eating the fries. <laughs> like, like everything. So what was he putting in his mouth? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like fucking probably pasta. There, well, there is a burger sitting there on his desk still. So he's one of those guys who like eats all his fries first and then eats the burger. I do that. I got I got a ration them fries to like the last bite of the burger. Uh, then I gotta have the last fry. No, oh, I do it the opposite. I try to have the last thing be the last bite of the burger, but I do eat them both at the same time. And then yeah. the Wendy cup, uh, the Wendy cup has to be facing the camera at all time. Yeah. Do you know anyone I, that like makes sure they eat their eats their burger where they go like around all the way so that the last bite of the burger is always the center of it? No, no but that's. I've known people that have done that with like uh, peanut butter and jelly and stuff. It's so. a good idea, though, right? Like I've, I've it like, is. I never thought yeah. of that. Like I, I kind of because there's nothing worse than when you get that last bite that's like seventy percent bun, right? Right. Like I, I kind of do angle it once I get down to the, you know, the the last whatever about a third of the burger. Then I try to eat the bread off, and then like yeah, yeah. but I, but I don't well, like, I mean, my, do like my, my, circular shit. My go-to sandwich at Wendy's is the spicy chicken sandwich, and that's always like it's a great the sandwich. Chicken man. is always way bigger than the bun, so it's always sticking out of one end. So of course that's what you leave for the end, you know. Yeah, I'm the kind of guy. I always got to eat my sides first, but then if I feel like I'm my I'm getting too full from the fries, then I gotta I gotta put it down and and get into the burger. You ever get that, Trev? You ever get the Wendy's spicy chicken with the cheese added? No, I haven't. Oh man, it's it'll it'll change it'll change everything. Now here's what this cop this cop suddenly loses his mind because <laughs> yeah he's losing they, his shit. They right discover now. like the dean is the killer, and at first he's you know he's still like an actual detective, and he says, "Okay, I'm gonna go do something about it because I know he's about to kill this tennis pro." Kendall, you stay here, and then suddenly he's like, "He's like, no wait, what am I saying? We can just call from the car." Kendall, come on, I need you. It's like, no, you don't. You don't need Kendall's help at all. Trust me, there's nothing he can do to to add in this situation. Now they're talking shit about the gay guy. 
Yeah, she she's on her fifth cup of uh, elephant <laughs> tranquilizer coffee. I'll be right back, guys. I'll be back in about 42 seconds. Do we know... Uh... How did they find out that this guy was the killer and he was he had her? Because they found out that he had changed his name um, by looking at the city hall records. And once they realized he changed his name, they just... That's the thing, too. The cop just jumps to a leap where he says, like, they look it up and find out that he was the kid whose mother was murdered. And he's just like, well, that must have... He must have snapped because his mom was murdered, so he must be the killer. I don't feel it. That, that's an unhealthy conclusion to jump to, I feel like. Yeah, well, you know... <laughs> So, um, so now she's, she's finally like becoming paralyzed, but it feels, Mm -hmm. I feel like she's been there for like two hours. (laughs) I like how the, uh, the elephant tranquilizer coffee, like, like it like paralyzes her, but keeps her awake in a constant state of terror. (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking about how it just now started to take effect and it. I, I get the feeling. It feels like she's been there all night. <laughs> yeah. Like her 15th cup of coffee. Sanka. Is instant coffee like like that? Is that like a real thing? I've never even heard of that. I remember there was some shit called like Sanka when I was a kid. And like you would see it like in a like a kind of clear plastic jar. Or probably was glass when I was a kid. And like it was like these little like. They almost looked like brown sugar crystals. And you just would put it in like hot water and stir it up. But it was like really artificial and like fake looking. Here we have everybody pulling up to the crime scene just in time. This movie is so damn convenient with like one group of characters talking and walking and then turning around and the other character being there and then everybody arriving at the same time. <laughs> like it's crazy. They have no problem all to like bringing Kendall up, just letting him, you know, enter the crime scene with them. Oh yeah, I mean, who cares about the logistics and the uh, legalities of a private citizen barging in on a murderer if he were to get hurt or whatever? You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, this is Boston. (laughs) As Ben as Ben Affleck would say, Boston rules. They don't even tell him to, like, wait out in the hall. They tell him, like, yeah. okay, you can come in, but just yeah. if we start shooting, hit the ground, you know? Yeah. They say, listen, you can come in here, but if we tell you, if we start letting bullets fly, you jump on the ground. And ask why later. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Boston way. I'm Go sorry. Sor- yeah. The Boston. I'm starting to wonder who's the worst cop, uh, Christopher George or Charles Bronson in 10 to Midnight. <laughs> Ten to midnight, Charles Bronson arrests a man for multiple murders just because he found a masturbation machine in his apartment. (laughs) I love how, like, they're really like, we have to search this uh, dean's office for for days to find somebody hiding in the corner. (laughs) Like, they really have no clue. Now, what do you think, okay... Uh, Linda Day there, her character's paralyzed. You know, she's awake, but she's paralyzed. She can't literally move her arms or move her legs, nothing. What do you think Kendall would have done to her if he would have caught her alone like that? No, I was just thinking, this is like Kendall's dream scenario. Yeah, he's like, he's like, okay, just, the police officer just wander off and look for the killer. I'll stay right here with her. I mean, (laughs) as soon as they turn their head, he's like fondling her boobs and shit. (laughs) I wonder if Kendall's mom had a 
like pre-written letters for the media explaining how he was a good kid just waiting for his next uh, rape conviction. <laughs> Ain't it weird how like uh, convicted rapists are now like the best people we have in society? Like everybody goes to bat for them <laughs> and defends <laughs> them in public. It's a little weird. I do love how when Kendall is, is carrying her and then the, the dean pops out and attacks him, he just drops drops her like a, oh, like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the ground face first. She got her more hurt in that moment than anything else that happened to her. Exactly. It would be <laughs> awesome if like her head like hit the fucking coffee table and killed her. I have to say, I found this a little hard to believe. Like, I actually thought that this, even this nerdy Dean, like, I thought he could easily overpower Kendall. Kendall kind of looks like a little wimp to me. I think it would have been cooler, too, if, like, because, you know, he kills everybody with a chainsaw, except for the waterbed lady. He used a knife there, but instead of using the knife here, I think it would be awesome if, like, they were just running around this, like, little fucking office with the chainsaw going and he's like flailing it all around trying to swing at him and hit him yeah kendall is like uh keith gordon and christine after he gets the car right you're right about that <laughs> now uh the cops come in and, sh- and shoot the dean right in the head and i have to Who's say this guy yeah this <laughs> motherfucker came out of nowhere this other detective but i have to say for a movie with great gore that was like the worst effects headshot Looks like, like he got shot with like a paintball. Yeah, like a Bird, this like pink, this new detective ball. is like that like uh, that fake friend that shows up in the third act of the room that we've like never seen before. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> becomes a main character. Yeah, Christopher George just caressed Kendall's face there. You're a good I'm kid. sure that I'm sure that that new cop that came in is a perfectly capable cop, but yeah, Christopher George. Probably- he loves Kendall so much that he didn't even call that guy. No, he was that guy was probably on vacation and he just got back to town. And he's like, "What the hell's been happening while I've been gone? <laughs> Who are you been working with? Why are you outsourcing all the police?" That's great too. He then he then fondles her face <laughs> and she's paralyzed, can't move. Now, why does the silver hair cop throw the blanket over the dead dean? Like, why? It's like, don't you have to do like the crime scene and all that shit? Yeah. <laughs> No, here, Kendall, he's kissing her on the he kissed, hand. Yeah, he kissed her hand. And I like how he's, like, playing house with the doll here. Like, he props her up, even though she probably shouldn't be propped up. And he's sitting there talking to her and shit. It's like a really creepy, like, fake date they're on right now. Yeah, the, there's really no first aid protocol. She should be laying on her side. Now, by even the way, I- another th- Another thing I noticed, thanks to the Blu-ray, um, in this when the detective here is showing Kendall the puzzle, the jigsaw. Uh, thing, yeah. yeah, keep in mind that the puzzle that Kendall's holding <laughs> and looking at is not the same one that no. they keep showing in close-up. No, it's and that not. he's been building. Yeah, and then he put they they did some uh, like cartoon stuff where he he like touched the bookcase and it like spun around. Yeah, if there's like a secret room back there, and then obviously the corpse made of all the different pieces fell out on Kendall, and it was like a what do you call it? It was like a, a, like a slow motion. Kendall looked like such a girl screaming. <laughs> like when I saw this the first time and you know, the, the corpse jumps out on Kendall and he, he's screaming, I thought it was going to cut the black right there. Well, yeah, that would have been enough, actually, right? And that's, yeah. the, I think, what I think what most movies would do. But pieces ain't most movies. It has to go the extra mile. They have to show that these uh, elderly police officers are actually friends with uh, Kendall. They, they tell him, oh, come on, it's time to go home. He's like, oh, I almost forgot my jacket. 
Yep, here we go. The, okay, now explain this to me. The corpse <laughs> re- reaches up, grabs Kendall's crotch through his jeans, and, and literally tears like talons, claw-like talons through his his jeans, and uh, actually like squeezes and pops his penis like. That's one thing I, I did notice for the first time on the Blu-ray just now is the like little like explosion. Yeah, yeah. like his dick explodes. Like, like his his balls like burst. And obviously, it was because some of the body parts were from his girlfriend that he was cheating on, right? That's what I got out of it. Is that I? Well, I've never thought of that. I've just I've I've never tried to figure that moment out because really, just the joy of that moment is that there is no reason for it. But. Yeah. Did he have an established girlfriend? Girlfriend, like. I mean, I just assumed he was like banging everybody. Well, what, what happened was in that that scene where the girl was like, "Oh, meet me in the pool. We're gonna fuck or whatever." The reason he didn't go fuck his girlfriend in the pool was he went to fuck another girl. Like he explained that to the nerd later, I think, and he's like, "Oh yeah, don't tell him." Oh, yeah. Copyright spectacular film productions. That's right. That's right. That's a great production. So that is it for pieces. Like, now, I, do you, what do you, do you guys think that like a uh, how would an ending like that play in a movie that would come out and get like an actual theatrical release today? Oh, it would be how ridiculous. Play back I, then. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I gotta admit that's the only part of the movie I didn't like because it's like okay, like it makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's a corpse. Oh, it's, it's not alive. It can't do that. You know. Yeah, but that's what I, that's actually why I love that moment, and it really is a moment that feels at home with like like Bird and I have talked about this a lot about a, a lot of the. Uh, surreal italian horror films ending on moments like that where just something completely nonsensical happens yeah just i don't know it really it really was uh plus it is like you're like after a whole movie of kendall being like this like you know undeserved horn dog finally gets his kind of come up at the end yeah it's really weird so i mean that's that's it for pieces you it ends on a penis popping <laughs> <laughs> Up there at Sleepaway Camp for uh, memorable horror endings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, just as quickly as it rolled in, pieces rolls away. Bird, where do you fall on the ending? You like it, or does oh it... Yeah. yeah? I mean, yeah, it's I don't it's like it. it's. I mean, it's it's this whole movie's nonsense, <laughs> you know. I mean, to, so. like, like to, I hate it when every movie after Carrie had to have the Carrie ending. Like it became too predictable, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, like, this movie, you know, the copyright's, like, 83, but it really feels like a movie from, like, 78, don't it? It feels even older yeah, that's, than that's what I. that's what I do. I mean, it definitely has, like, the more of a sleazy 70s feel to it than an 80s But, it, it, I mean, it's it's like we said um, when we were watching it. It, it also has a lot of that post-Friday uh, the 13th, like, uh, American slasher stuff in it as well mm-hmm. yeah so yeah the late great pieces uh now how do you can you believe that i mean so you just watch this film like I, we all enjoy it but a movie like pieces has this kind of amazing three disc limited edition blu-ray release yeah while like so many other films are like kind of languish with no release and <laughs> you know or bare bones, yeah. frustrating releases. Like, it's, think, what a world we live in, huh? I think, yeah. Well, I think this release, obviously, is a grindhouse releasing this type of movies they specialize in. But um, I think the reason this release is so good is because the previous releases it was treated so shabbily. 
Like, I really yeah, no, like... and I, I also just think it, it like warms my heart sometimes, right? When like a director, you know, because the, the thing about these films is they often are a labor of love, you know, just by people who kind of don't know what they're doing. But it is heartwarming that these films that are made and then are kind of just like rejected by most people, right? Yeah. But they can still go on to get like that kind of Blu ray release and show that they are important to a certain segment of movie lovers. It, it makes me happy. Do we have any movies coming out these days that you think will end up in a spot like this? Or do you think that this is just an era that's just, you know. They um, they just don't make movies like this anymore. I mean, yeah, I don't really. I, not in it's the hard US, to say. I don't think. Yeah, like, honestly, because I feel like the U.S. even the independent scene is trying to mimic a more commercial whatever. I don't think there's that many people because like, you know, we have all these movies that ironically, like, try to pay tribute to Grindhouse movies and all that, and they're cool and I like movies like that. But I don't think those movies will stand the test of time the way the real Grindhouse films did. You know? Yeah, and hell, right. 85% of those are all parodies anyway. Right. Like, yeah. And I mean, to be honest, just at the end of the day, you know, we don't have double bills anymore, so we don't have real B-movies being made, as the definition goes. Right. And then also, you know, like you said, they're just, they're just like tribute ones, but... Even though they do, anybody who goes inside a family video and looks at the new release shelves knows that there still are movies that are made just as kind of like, you know, tax shelters and things like that. Right. But certainly nothing like it was back then with all these just investors crazy to make profit on these, you know, right. cheapo movies. And it's, it's a completely yeah. different world. And well, so much of it is, so much of it, like, I mean, like I said, it's it's all parody. Every Everything's postmodern now, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think also, too, maybe we have to blame the audience a little bit just in terms of, um, you know, I, I don't I don't know if anybody saw this coming or whatever, but when we all van- abandoned the video stores, you know, like, I mean, I guess it was people really abandoning the drive-ins and then abandoning, like, seeing movies like this theatrically, and then The Last Straw was abandoning the video stores. I mean, there's just no way for these movies to, like, make any revenue. So, like, Yeah, exactly. Like, why would you make a pieces today? Like, you can make yeah. pieces and say, well, we're going to turn a profit because we're going to tour it, and it's going to play in New York for a couple months, then we're going to take it to L.A., and then we'll play it in Chicago. And, yeah, but nobody will and see then- it. And then for a while after that, you know, you're like, well, we can turn a profit because it'll go into video stores and people will see the box and rent it. But now you make this movie and it's, nothing's going to happen with it. Yeah. So the thing is, I mean, to be honest, there could be movies like this being made now and we just don't know because there's right. no way for us to know. Yeah. And I, I feel like most of the, the streaming services these days are kind of getting away from stuff like this because they're starting to just sign contracts with all the major studios and... <laughs> And that, stuff like and they that. They want to be their own TV networks, like you know. Yeah. Like, and that's another thing is like it was kind of the migration to the streaming model. I think is what got people more pussy whipped on the TV model, because like when Netflix streaming first came out, like like the idea of like you know it was kind of what a lot of people talked about for years and years with video on demand coming and stuff that we could sit here and watch it. You know, either any movie we wanted or at least a huge library of films, but that. But it turns out, you know, that model of binge-watching, like, people weren't going to sit down and watch two or three horror movies in a night. They're just going to watch a whole season of a TV show, you know, over, you know, in one night or whatever. So, not to sound like a dick, because, I mean, you know, like, you know, we all, whatever, we all we all did it. We were all part of it. We just didn't see really what was coming down the line. But, uh, you know, I really think we killed these movies, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I mean, because if there was a way for people to make money off them, somebody would still be making them, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. We 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 all we all got a hard dick over Mad Men and Breaking Bad. <laughs> we left movies like pieces in the dust. <laughs> you want to blame somebody for Grindhouse movies dying? Blame yourself. The only the only nice thing that you can say about it though is that no matter how old you get and you feel like you've seen them all, right? Yeah. There were so many of these Grindhouse movies right. made in the 70s and 80s that people are still like discovering them and like re-releasing them. And you can still find some gems you haven't seen before. Like that's the only thing that cheers me up is that I, I feel like I'll, I'll still get to see a bunch I haven't, uh, you know, as I keep going along. And especially with companies like Grindhouse and Vinegar Syndrome and Blue Underground and all these people, you know, still putting these things out. Yeah, I mean, I really feel you know, getting back to the Forty Second Street, like whatever, like, like I mean, obviously, I don't have any desire to go in a theater full of piss and smack junkies and shit but like i really wish somewhere in like a really cool cultural place like uh first of all i wish like the single screen theaters would come back but like i understand there's there's business model reasons why they don't really exist so much anymore but like i really would love to see like a developer somebody in like a really culturally cool place like either chicago or austin texas or just somewhere where there's like a pretty good independent film scene like actually kind of like take an area and kind of build three or four single or or double screen theaters and really just have it be like a great film center, you know, like you have one. Oh, that's like we, uh, so while bird and I were watching, we watched that documentary together with some friends and bird. Remember we talked about that, about, we said, why doesn't someone just like take 42nd street, a part of it and just rebuild those theaters and let it become like an attraction kind of, but where you Mm -hmm. do run it like 24 hours and you do show these old movies, but you let it be like kind of a, yeah, it's going to be kind of a hipster thing, but still you'll get to go and see like the cool movies, but it won't have the druggies and the, the muggings and stuff. It'll be like more better patrolled now and stuff. And I would, I think that's a great idea. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's entertainment districts everywhere and, uh, you know, places where, you know, have high tourism, you know, the, I mean, you could build all kinds of shit. You can make a family oriented with, you know, golf cart, you know, whatever fucking arcades and whatever, and all the, you know, miniature golf and all that kind of bullshit too, but like have three or four theaters and, you know, it doesn't have to be all like borderline porno bullshit, but, uh, you know, you could have a mix of repertory programming and like, you know, like, because uh, what a lot of people don't know either was, like, a lot of, like, the mainstream shit played on 42nd Street, too. Like, you can look yeah. online and see marquees that had E.T. on it and shit. You know what I mean? Well, I think, uh, like, uh, places like the uh, the Alamo Draft House and uh, the New Beverly are kind of yeah. kind of what we're talking about. I mean, the sad thing about the New Beverly was, like, even, a, like, like, I lived in L.A. for, like, eight years, and I sadly found out it's it's just a hillbilly wasteland of just people who really don't care like everybody just rather see Shrek Part Eight or whatever, like because the New Beverly man, like, sad to say, I mean, it's really only just being kept kept alive now by Tarantino, and it's just like because before he officially went like a hundred percent all in on it, like it was going to close several times. Like it, it finally, it, it's sad that even in L.A. it can't be sustained enough off of just selling tickets, selling popcorn, whatever. Like you need a real kind of you know wealthy benefactor to keep a place like that open you know what i mean well i do i do think in recent years from what i've seen from the people i follow on twitter and facebook and you know the kind of screenings i wish i could see but i don't live in la is that part of the issue is you really do have to make it something special now right you can't just show big trouble in little china again because everyone has it on dvd and why would they bother coming out and paying for parking and then paying for the movie ticket when they can sit home 
But if you can get a cast member to come and do a Q&A, or you can have some kind of trivia event beforehand with a prize, you know what I mean? You have to make everything an experience now, yeah. which is fine. I get that. And there's like a, there, it's, it's valid if that's what you have to do. Trev and I are lucky enough to live by the Redford Theater, which is um, like a, it's all like retro screenings. And I think about probably about 95 percent of them are all 35 millimeter yeah, um, it's mean, the theater that was in uh, It Follows. If, right, if you remember that? I do remember that. And like, yeah, like I was really surprised once I started kind of talking to you guys about the subject because I live in theatrical exhibition wasteland here, and I was really surprised how much cool shit you guys have there. And like, yeah, Trev. I mean, if well, Trev, I mean, we're, I, we've talked about it a little bit, but it, it is kind of surprising just how much stuff we we have out here or yeah how- i mean we're actually pretty lucky because in and actually in different areas where we have like a bunch of different art kind of theaters about 20 or 30 minutes away from us uh you know off the top of my head i can right away have the redford and the main art and the michigan theater and the state theater so we're, we're fairly lucky yeah like cincinnati had a good scene for a long time and then because uh, it's kind of the same people who own all the art house theaters like it's not a chain they're all called something different but it's pretty much the same people who own it and, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I grew up going to these art house theaters, and they kept expanding them, putting more screens into them. And, like, you would go see some obscure shit, whatever, and it'd, it'd always be packed. But, uh, unfortunately, I guess for business reasons, they started, you know, like, if they have four screens now, two of them are actual art movie, and the other two, like, I mean, they'll play anything now, like Transformers, whatever. And I really miss just the places that were, like, the sanctuary for, like, good films, you know what I mean? Um, in Chicago, one of the, the theater that, like, um, they do the movie screenings for G-Fest is, uh, is, is a, uh, like, a historic one-screen theater. And, like, throughout the day, they show all the current stuff, but, you know, the G-Fest people run it out at night. But, yeah, you know, like, they'll show, you know, the new Avengers or whatever, but, yeah, it's like you were saying, it's one of the old single-screen theaters, so, like... You know, whatever movie you want to see, you know, it might not be playing at the time you want to see it because they might be playing something else. Right. And, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously you can't make a ton of money on, like, whatever. But, like, like even here in the wasteland I live in, um, they do, like, you, it used to just be on Wednesdays. Now they do a, a matinee of it on Sunday, too. But, like, they, they always have a lineup of classic movies. And they play a lot of old shit from the 50s and stuff. But whenever they play the 80s stuff... Like, and I used to go to a lot of them, but whenever they play the 80s stuff, like, it sells out or damn near sells out. Like, I couldn't see Grease because that sold out. Um, Couldn't even see Dirty Dancing because that sold out. I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, I think, and it's like that thing of, like, how do people, How like, I'm like, how do enough people even know other than just checking the theater's website? I mean, I think if it's like a once a week thing, I think just about any theater anywhere could get away with playing classic movies, but they just really don't. You know what I mean? I don't know, it's pretty sad. So this has been the uh, get off my lawn uh, segment of Asian <laughs> This has been like the fucking stop streaming everything <laughs> segment. <laughs> like, and the only reason I've really come to this sourpuss thing about it is like, I'm sorry, but streaming sucks in terms of like, there's no rich experience around it. Like, it's great. They're like, oh, I want to see this movie and they have it and I can just press a button and play it. But overall, like... And also, uh, streaming, even streaming in HD, is not giving no. you the quality you'd get on a Blu-ray. Like, like how we're sitting here popping a bone over uh, this uh, pieces. Like, I mean, I watched this on my good newer TV the first time, but just watching it doing this commentary on my 
1080p very basic set from 2007. I mean, it looks it looks ten times more amazing than fucking the highest quality Netflix looks. You know what I mean? And also, in my apartment, our signal is wonky, so it's wishy washy if my streaming even like works right. Like Trev's had experiences here, and we're trying yeah. trying to stream stuff, and it's just like it has to buffer every. Don't even get and, me going. My one of the worst experiences of my life was watching Bone Tomahawk for the first time at Bird's oh, Place because it. It, like the streaming, we kept going out, and then they would come on, and you know that thing where, like, for the first two minutes, the movie looks like shit. It's like I, completely digitized. I hate that yeah, it looks like YouTube. I, w- I would sit there. I would sit there and let the film buffer for ten minutes if it could start playing in regular quality. I I hate that. The that's like another thing I hate about streaming is like we just have to accept that every TV show. Every movie we're ever going to watch till the end of the time because all we want to do is stream. The first two minutes of it going to look like fucking YouTube from 2007. <laughs> I fucking hate that. Like and they it, need to like make a concession now where every show needs to start with like two minutes of like just nothing. What's <laughs> the most? What's the most frustrating for me is like it's inconsistent. Like right. Sometimes it'll everything will be fine, and then other times I'll stream something and it'll be crap. Like mm-hmm. or like I'll be binging like Game of Thrones, and I'll say I watch four episodes. The first two will be fine, and then the the two after that will like have to buffer every five minutes. And it's it's like what is this? <laughs> like like with me, it's, I don't have so much the quality of connection problem you guys have. I have more of the apps being a pain in the ass. Like and I have everything that I run at, run these things off of. I have multiple Roku's. I have PS3's. I have PS4's that we use. Like and like Hulu is the worst. But even Netflix sometimes like loads up and it's just like not working right and shit is going weird with it. Like I am so sick of that fucking experience of just like I'm so sick of people blowing smoke of that. Like oh god, we're so technologically advanced now. It's like then how come this shit is like so fucking like Game Boyish? It's like fucking garbage. <laughs> Oh, but anything to drive to a store and, and rent a movie. <laughs> anything to avoid that. But anyway, that has been the pieces. Grindhouse crying fucking tears into our spilt milk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I want to thank you guys for doing this. I want to thank you both for helping out. Because we could not have done the millions and millions of Halloween episodes that we did this year without both your guys help so i just want to say thank you and you know i don't know if you know the three of us or two of us or whatever will end up doing another one before the halloween thing so if this is the last hurrah uh, i want to say thank you bird thank you trev uh and i doubly thank you for taking time on a by the way breaking the fourth wall recording this on a friday night these gentlemen put their friday night plans you know on the back burner so uh, my it, Friday night plans were watching pieces. That's all I could say. <laughs> yeah. Every Friday uh, night, that's all I could. It was a pleasure, and um, as always, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I would appreciate if uh, everyone listens to "If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It" and Kaiju Transmissions. Exactly. And Trev, I'm sure you would appreciate it if people watched Days of Future or listen, what do they do? I'd really like if they listen to it. Uh, <laughs> watching it to, won't uh, do much. Days of Future podcast, yeah. What if I did want to watch it? Uh, come over to uh, Joe's place when we record it. You can sit there. And I've watch done that before there. too. You can yeah, charge yeah, a mission yeah. to Joe's living room or wherever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, check out those podcasts. Um, help support the 1980s movie graveyard on Patreon. Patreon.com/slash/1980s movie graveyard. 
only $2 a month gets you access to all kinds of bonus content and make sure that we keep producing this fucking podcast forever. The cost of a Wendy's sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Like, not even the good Wendy's sandwich. Like, the the budget, like, little tiny thing that ain't even going to fill you up or count as a meal. So, yeah, help us out with that because the more we can build this show and grow it and do cool things with advertising and stuff like advertising is the main reason why we have the patreon so we really appreciate it but the bigger it gets the cooler we can make it for you guys because you know yeah so whenever you feel like going to wendy's and getting that junior cheeseburger and that mini frosty mm-hmm. that thimble just, fucking frosty yes yeah just go go to go patreon. and 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 Give that money to the '80s movie graveyard. Exactly. Yeah, because who knows? Someday, maybe we could be so big that we could put on like a live screening of pieces and we get could. Kendall there. You know. Well, my my goal for this podcast, if it ever became big enough, is that actually we could uh, start a movie studio that specializes. Uh, you know, through donations, we could start a small micro budget movie studio that actually recreates new versions of these films. You know, bring the era back. That's what I want because I'm sick of this streaming fucking garbage. Yeah, <laughs> you won't, you know what'll happen is we'll make that studio, then we'll start streaming everything. Okay, we'll streams. become what we hate. Exactly, <laughs> like George Lucas and J.J. Abrams both said, "You live long enough, <laughs> you become the villain." <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great uh, whatever mid October, almost Halloween. Have a great Halloween. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bird and Trev. Thank you to all our awesome listeners. Keep horror alive. Keep the 1980s alive. Keep uh, spread the word. Fucking share whatever. Not just of this show, but anything, anything 1980s movie related. You see on Facebook, whatever <laughs> poster picture. I don't give a shit. Let's bring this shit back. Because if keep, I gotta, keep the nostalgia flowing. Exactly. Because if I gotta fucking sit through another fucking Michael Bay Transformers movie, God, come on, let's get some good so shit. Just going. start loading up the Facebook page with Iran Contra stuff. You know. <laughs> exactly. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Take care. Stay safe. Stay spooky. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com. Yeah, but I mean, The Exorcist, if it came out, that would probably be PG-13. You think? Nah, dude. Did, eh, didn't I don't she think like so. kill her vagina uh, with the metal? Cross? Other than like that, that's probably the only scene that would like tip it over. You always do this, Trev. I gotta call you out on this. You always <laughs> do this. You go, ah, oh, that'd be PG thirteen. What about this? Well, that's it's like if you have to censor it to get PG thirteen, it wouldn't be PG thirteen. No. Well, if if, if if the Exorcist couldn't get PG back then, right? I don't think it, it would get PG thirteen now. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does make sense.